Welcome to the Writing to Get Business podcast, where you'll get tips to expand your writing skills. Every week, you'll hear tips and strategies to support your writing. Pat Iyer is your show hostess, a ghostwriter, editor, and author who has written 48 books. Sit back, relax, and listen. Here's your hostess, Pat Iyer. Hi, this is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business, and I have with me today Tina Greenbaum, who I met at a C-Suite Network event. I believe it was in San Francisco, was it, Tina? I do believe. It may have been New York, but I think San Francisco, I think. I think so. And C-Suite Network is the podcast host who is hosting this podcast. They're the largest business podcast network in the world and growing rapidly at the rate of two new shows a week. Mm-hmm. Tina and I both are connected through the C-suite. And when I talked with her initially, we were focusing on her expertise in terms of stress management. And she did a podcast for my other podcast, which is Legal Nurse Podcast. We've reconnected and discovered that Tina had written a book And I believe, Tina, at the time we first met, you were in the process of putting that book together, if not not mistaken. Exactly. Yes. And here it is. Now it, it exists. So first of all, tell us, our listeners, what is the focus of your book and how did it evolve? Okay. So my focus of my book, it's called Mastery Under Pressure. And so I like to look at how Anxiety is at one level and stress and peak performance is at the other level. So I think of it as a continuum. And no matter where you are on that continuum, even if you feel like you're performing really, really well, there's always more to learn. There's always more to become fine-tuned. And people talk about being in the flow and how do you get into the flow and when are you in and when are you out? And so over all the years that I've been working, it's fascinated with me. It fascinated me in terms of skill building. How do we actually build the skills to manage anxiety and then perform at our very best? So that's sort of the, the background of it. And I started working on my business of this mastery under pressure. So I've worked over the years. I lived in Washington, D.C. I lived in New York City. I live now outside of San Francisco. So I've worked with a lot of high achievers, actors, dancers, performers, financial people, bank presidents, you name it. And what I found was that a lot of times, again, people knew what they were supposed to do, but they had no idea how to do it. And so as a, I'm really a teacher by nature. And so I wanted to teach these skills. So that's sort of the background. And then the other part I think you asked me, Pat, was um, how did the book come to be? And so I started working actually with a business coach. And before I created this Mastery Under Pressure, I was teaching tennis players the same skills. And it was called Tennis to the Max. My husband is a tennis coach. And so I did the mental side of tennis. And then he would take people onto the court. And then people would say, well, could you teach this to business people? Could you teach this to this group? Could you teach it to nurses? And so these skills, again, are universal. So I started creating this program and and delineating it mostly with business people in, in mind. And the way that I created the book was I started with actually an online program. 
And I had a whole series of things that I would bring people, this is pre-COVID, would bring people into um, a workshop, a small little workshop, and then a, and then a two-day workshop. And then from the two-day workshop, I, sol- I sold my, my online program. But the program yet actually hadn't been developed. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I had clients before I actually had the program. And so what I did was every week I would do another module and I would record the module on my computer on, on Keynote. I think it was on Keynote. I, I recorded it and then I sent it to my graphic artist. The, I'd send him the script and the, the, the audio and then he would create the slides and then he would send it back to me in a, in a, in a Keynote form and then I would send them onto the group that had signed up for the course. So every single week for 12 weeks, I created a new module. And when it came time to write the book, I started thinking about, oh, writing a book. I said, well, I actually already have it written. Mm-hmm. I have the script. And so I took the scripts and I worked with an editor and she helped me kind of turn the language more into instead of this module, it was the next chapter. And, and then I also created the exercises in the book. And then I created also a workbook that goes along with the book that you could buy separately. And so I have this wonderful little package where I could go either way with it. And, and what, what I've learned from the online program, the value of the online program is that it's my coaching in between the modules. Otherwise, I, I don't sell the, the program, the online program by itself, uh, because then I say, well, you could just buy the book. And, I, and then it doesn't kind of lessen the, the impact of the program, if that makes sense. What's fascinating is the evolution of this from a live event to an online course, to a book, to a workbook. That transition is fascinating to me. Yes. (laughs) You know, this has actually been five years in the making. Mm -hmm. Whole process. And having the book as my, you know, people talk a lot about it as a calling card, you know. But I, I used to dream about having a book. It's like, oh, God, you know, and then when the book came out with my name on it, it's like, <clears throat> wow, I, I, I have a book. And so it, it actually, um, on a psychological level, what it's done for me is it's, it's uplifted my business, me and my business. Because really now what I'm up to is the point of scaling the business and having content and books and videos and and messaging and marketing and you know social media help and blog writing help <clears throat> excuse me um i kind of look back on the last five years and but I, it's it's here you know it's 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 actually pretty exciting if i must say so <laughs> myself and do you ever repurpose the script into blog posts Absolutely. So I have a wonderful person who's helping me with my social media and I get little messages on Facebook or LinkedIn and, you know, that Tina Greenbaum has posted the next, you know, the next posting. And there I see quotes 
you know, beautifully done. Uh, he's, he's just doing a beautiful job with my headshot and, and everything is in my colors. And, and here's, a, here's a great quote. And then, and then video pieces and then, you know, chapters, not really chapters yet, but um, just chunks of pieces that I've written that are now showing up in, in all different kinds of interesting ways. And hopefully, you know, that's my end of actually putting it together, but hopefully helpful to people mm -hmm. that, that, I'm, that I'm really, you know, from my years of experience, really giving things that make a difference to people, especially at this time. I would imagine being in your line of work and focusing on mastering stress that you're seeing a lot of people who are talking about the effects of stress that we're going through now. Yes. So what I used to think about my business and somebody said, I didn't say this, but the way she said it was perfect. When we're, I was talking, she said, I believe in what you do. I think it's really, really important. But in our line of work, you know, in my business, my corporation, it's not urgent. So it's important, but not urgent. There's a, there's a Eisenhower made up a time management thing. And, and so he calls it important and urgent, important, not urgent, not important and not urgent. And the other one is just get it off the list. And so <laughs> right now my work is, uh, again, it's not just me. It's the work that I do is important and very urgent. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. I have seen that schema applied to the work of risk managers in healthcare when they're trying to prioritize what problem are they going to tackle? It could be critical and infrequent, or it could be critical and frequent in terms of an activity yes. and putting your resources towards the things that are critical in that four quadrant becomes most important. Absolutely. It's a wonderful way to really kind of manage your day. Um, again, mm -hmm. when we're talking about stress management and you look at all the different things that you have to do and that feeling of overwhelmed is oh, too much. I find that really helpful. It's like, okay, these three things are things that I can tackle today. And, um, but the idea of, of, and I go back to this so many times, Pat, what I, what I see and what I know, and it's just reinforced over and over and over again, is anxiety is the most, I think anxiety and depression, and I forget the statistics, but particularly now off the charts, absolutely off the charts. Anxiety is not that difficult to manage if you know how to do it. And I just haven't seen too many things, you know, that, from the way that I learned many, many years ago, I had fabulous, fabulous teachers, um, but from a body and a mind perspective and being able to kind of know what to do with your body, know what to do with your mind, that you can actually quiet, quiet it down. There's so many different wonderful ways of learning how to manage it that you can get through these periods as difficult as they are. You mean there are other solutions other than chocolate and ice cream? Oh no, the chocolate ice cream is the best. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I grew up on. You're not having a bad day. <laughs> Briars and Hagen Dust. I grew up on Briars ice cream. I'm from Philadelphia. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yes, I know, um, but, but to the chagrin of many people, Breyer's ice cream contributes to weight gain, which increases the stress. So it's exactly right. not and always the solution. 
that's exactly. I was going to say, if, as long as you eat just enough ice cream, not to create that um, that stress response of feeling really crappy for what you've just done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, f- <clears throat> I found a couple of weeks ago that I had crossed the line from being interested in the news to an obsession with the news. And I had to take my smartphone and take off the smart news app, which was feeding me headlines all day long, popping up and interrupting me to tell me about the latest headline. And I actually threw out two Klondikes that were in my freezer that had been sitting there going, Pat, we're here. Why aren't you here? And I put them in the bottom of my garbage can so I knew I wouldn't touch them. And I haven't bought ice cream since. And And with the app off, I have learned to limit myself to news one time a day, usually not at the end of the day, which was another thing that I was doing to myself. Oh, it's 10 o'clock. It's time to turn off the computer. Let's see what's going on with the news. That also is not a good stress management tool. No, no. And, and you're absolutely positively correct. And but what you were able to do was to actually notice what was happening to you. Mm. That's kind of the first level of awareness, of creating that level of awareness. I noticed that when I do the news, this is what's happening to me. I noticed that I was in a really good mood before this, before I turned it on. Now I feel really, I noticed that I'm not being able to sleep. So once you can sort of name what it is that's causing the stress, well, now we can then go and problem solve, which is what you did. You know, you took the Klondike bars and you put them in the garbage. So um, because addictions, food addictions, any kind of addictions are always, always about feelings that we don't want to feel. Mm. Always about feelings that we don't want to feel. And so if we just kind of divert our attention and we start focusing on the, on the food or the, you know, the drugs or the alcohol or the, the, you know, the joint or whatever it is, I don't have to feel that feeling anymore. Well, again, in short doses, sometimes that's a good thing, but other times you're, you're cutting off your ability to know <laughs> what the problem is. So then you're, you know, you've lost your, your radar, you've lost your problem solving ability. So I just wanted to comment on that because mm-hmm. that's important. Well, see, there's a little bonus of a tiny bit of therapy mixed in with this podcast too. <laughs> that is great. An unexpected bonus. Can't resist. <laughs> Well, what advice would you give people, Tina, who are thinking about either writing an online course that may turn into a book or writing a book that may turn into an online course? That marriage of the two media is one that can be quite profitable and rewarding for the authors as well as the people who go through those programs. So this is one of the things that I've learned. You know, I said I'm doing this particular part of Mastering Under Pressure for the last five years. I've also built five private practices. And every time I moved, I had to start over again and start over again. So I understand what it's like to be a sole proprietor and attempting to do as much as I can by myself because I didn't have the funds to hire all these wonderful people. But what I've also learned is, and this was some of the best, again, had I known this when I was starting, I would have figured it out a little differently. Um, I volunteer at a a, a, a incubator, 
um, you know, a startup incubator. And they used to bring me at the end of the course. Now they bring me in at the beginning, like how to manage all of this, all of this, putting it all together. But the, the fellow who kind of created it said the difference between a sole proprietor and a founder is a founder has a team. Founder has a team. And when I look at what was involved in all those things of how I've actually been able to do it. So I started out with this, a wonderful business coach. And yes, I paid him, but I also was smart enough to understand that I was investing in this money. I didn't have the cash. I didn't have it, but I knew that I couldn't move on because I didn't have the knowledge to, to kind of do what I wanted to do. So I put money on, um, what do you call it? A, an interest-free credit card because I knew I could pay it off in time. I couldn't pay it all at once, but I knew that I could make payments within the 18 months that it would take me to, to get to the end of the thing. And that's how I kind of foot my first really expensive um, helper. And I did it several times over. And always being able to stay within my means and, and, and not take on anything that I couldn't pay back. So that was one way. The other way I did it is I did a lot of trading. There were people whose services that I wanted and they wanted mine. And yes, yes, I, I do psychotherapy, but I'm also a, a very practical coach. And I'm a good problem solver and I'm good at helping people assess things and kind of look at what may be the next thing. So I had friends, colleagues um, who helped me along the way. I have a wonderful quiz that somebody, you know, um, wanted my services and another friend wanted something else. And so there are people in your world that can assist you and that you can assist. So I, I never want to um, kind of think about, and also giving away some of your time for mm -hmm. something that may turn around in some other way. You know, people ask, I did a lot of speaking and that got me really kind of out there in the community and people getting to know me. And so somebody says, well, you know, do you speak for free? And as Jeffrey Hazlett says, as it's part of C-suite, he said, depending on the audience, damn, yes, <laughs> you know, I'll speak for free. And so being creative, listening to other people, being part of networks where other people are kind of going through the same process. Um, somebody like Pat, who was an amazing, amazing resource, not only for her incredible talent, but who she knows and how to get around this and how to get around that and how to you know, do the course. Like I sold the course before I made it. So I didn't invest a cent other than my coaching, you know, but I didn't invest anything in, in getting somebody to make something for me, you know, until I knew that there was an audience for it. So really kind of learning business savvy. And again, this is small business savvy. This is not, you know, this is not a multi-million dollar corporation where the problems are different, although they're not, <laughs> you know, they're just scaled down, but a good business runs in certain things and we need those things. And just like good mental health work, you know, when you're, when you're operating personally, things work if you have these, you know, these pieces in place. So again, Pat, I, I, you know, I'm trying to think of all the things that I've done mm -hmm. that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's also networking, getting to know 
people that know people and that can give you ideas and coming out of your single focus, you know, again, here we are at home. I haven't seen very many friends, certainly not my family that lives, you know, distance from me, but I feel connected. I don't feel alone. You know, I have a community and, and um, these are just all little pieces, maybe sometimes that we, we never think of. I was talking earlier today to a, a British hypnotherapist and NLP practitioner, and she commented that many people have said they feel more connected to each other through Zoom than they did when they met in person. And it sounds paradoxical. People yeah. are more comfortable because they're talking in their own homes and they are opening up to each other more than if they're standing in a crowded room at a networking event. Exactly. You know, waiting to get into the next conversation, you know, mm -hmm. or, or not, or sitting back and, you know, I don't feel comfortable. This isn't my scene. This isn't. Um, so you get a lot of opportunity online. I mean, we have this community of the C-suite network where my God, my world has opened up a thousand fold. Mm -hmm. All the amazing, amazing people that I connect with and want to connect with me. And I, you know, I kind of get off one of the calls and I've got like 10 different LinkedIn invitations and, and finding the people and using your time really wisely as to who can you help and who can help you. And I, I get these wonderful reciprocal relationships going, just like Pat inviting me here. Hopefully I can help her and, and she's certainly helping me. We focused on the fact that you went from the online course to the book. And another piece that we didn't cover, which I think is also so creative, is to give the script and the audio to a person to help create the visuals. Mm -hmm. I have always done my own visuals, my own PowerPoint slides. And it takes me probably three times longer than it did for you to create that because I'm off on the internet, I'm looking at images, I'm getting distracted because, oh, I find three or four other images that I could potentially use in another project. I've got to pick my PowerPoint template. I've got to write the script that goes with each of those images. I've got to make sure that they're fitting well on the screen, they're not over the edges. If I'm using a pre-purchased template, which I did over this weekend, I have to remember to check to make sure that there's no unexpected animation, that things are not flying in and dropping up and down, which I discovered with the one that I used on the weekend that I had forgotten to go through and remove all those things. It sounds like you very creatively used a graphic artist person to do what he or she did well with your material. And I have not heard of anyone who's approached it like you did. So that piece is creative and a great use of resources. Well, there's another wonderful thing that I learned from one of my friends and I've repeated it over and over and over again. And if it's not your genius, it's not your job. Mm. Yes, it's not your job. And creating PowerPoints, even though it can be fun, you know, if I had time and whatever, I've never even taken a course on PowerPoint, so it's frustrating because I don't really, really know the program. So it's not my genius. And 
I had this wonderful, wonderful graphic artist in the Philippines. And in the beginning, when I wrote the script, I would put in, you know, slide here, slide there. After like the second or the third, he was so psychologically sophisticated and so in tune with what I was writing. I didn't even have to put it. He put the slides in the right, absolutely the most appropriate places. Mm-hmm. That made it even faster because I, I just didn't even have, I could just write and then he would fill it in and his slides. I'm so proud of the program. Not so, you know, from my voice, not so much, but um, <laughs> but his visuals were just amazing. And mm-hmm. um, and and then I could take this, those, I've taken those images that he used there and I've used them over and over and over again in other PowerPoint slides. So mm-hmm. let's say that I'm speaking to, um, you know, so my, my, my talks have changed somewhat since COVID, but I could add new ones and then bring those over and use the ones that are in my, in my program. And so honestly, on my investment, which was very small, really, um, to get this thing off the ground, it has paid for itself over and over and over and over and over again. So yes, and now I have somebody else helping me who also helps me write the PowerPoints. Like he understands my work so much and, and, then, and then we follow it through and then he's finding the pictures and they're funny and they're creative. My brain doesn't go that way. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty straightforward. And you know, he's got this clever little thing with clouds and I just would never come, it would never come for me. And so it enhances the work that I do. And, and obviously the time that you're spending, Pat, that's a lot of time. And, and I know for myself, if, I, if 15 minutes I'll put into something and if I start to get frustrated and I have to start to go to Google and figure out how to do this and call up Apple, and, I'm like, no, not valuable, not valuable. It is amazing how much time goes into creating a program. I just spent um, Saturday and most of Sunday creating a approximately 45 slide program on how you can write persuasively for your audience. And I had read three books. I created a word outline of the three main sections that I wanted to cover. I wrote down the author of the book and the page number, and then pieced it together and pieced it together and found the visuals. So I would say it was easily 12, 14 hours of work to create about 45 minutes of a presentation. So if we took what you did, and we took the part that only you could do, only you could do. How much time would have that taken you? It probably would have been half that amount of time, I would guess, because I didn't have a script. I didn't write it out in advance. I was creating the visuals while I was processing and integrating the information in the three books. So, Certainly the visuals, if somebody else had done the visuals and I could hand over a script like you did, it would have reduced my time right. for sure. Right. And, and the truth is, I don't know about you, but I enjoy doing that part. 
I enjoy doing research. I enjoy writing my things, you know, and making sure that they make sense and that, you know, this thing leads to the next thing. And that's the part that only I can do because mm-hmm. it's my training. It's my background. It's what it's me. It's what I'm offering. Somebody else can actually edit it for me, make it, you know, read better or sound better. But, um, but th- that initial creative process, that's the fun part. I think it is. Right. It is. Yep. Absolutely. Right. So I honestly dream of the time that I can sit down and um, think about another book. You know, uh, I love the neuroscience. I have CEUs that I have to fulfill and they take time. You know, I have to be able to sit for six, seven hours, you know, and do these things and take the tests. And, but then I come back and I've got so much knowledge that then I put into my next thing that I do. Mm-hmm. Part that, I enjoy. And so I'm working really hard to get my life, you know, kind of looking like that and doing these things with you, which I love. And how much fun, you know, is this? And so mm-hmm. having that, that kind of frame of thinking of how I use my time or how we use our time. And, you know, if it's not my genius, it's not my job. And, you know, and also that 80% of our time during the workday particularly, you know, needs to also be spent on, on bringing in new business. You're in business. So how can we incorporate the things that we love at the same time that they are, you know, investing time in your business, mm-hmm. doing podcast or being the podcast host, doing something that that's enjoyable and, and learning and, and, and participating and then giving some of the other stuff to other people. You'll make more money, actually. And you'll enjoy your life a lot more, I think. I agree. We've covered a wide range of topics here, Tina, mixed in a little bit of therapy to help listeners and viewers of this podcast know that ice cream is not the answer, even though it sounds like it is. We've talked about how Tina went from a workshop to an online course to a script of a book to a graphic artist who could create the slides, to then using the book for social media posts, for blog posts, for images with quotes, which is a beautiful repurposing cycle. And it can go on from there. There are other ways that books can be repurposed as well. And we talked about the the phrase that I think will stick in my brain for a long time is that if it's not your genius, it's not your job. Look at how you can develop relationships with people either through bartering, which is a wonderful way to manage it, or paying people who have the skills that it would take you two, three, four, five times longer to master and then to actually perform. And I know that people who are listening to this are going to want to know how can they purchase your book and find out more about the services that you offer. So I'll pull off one of them so that you could actually see it. It's called Mastery Under Pressure. And right now it's on Amazon. Soon it'll be on my website, but right now it's from Amazon. And I love to offer also, I have a quiz. It's if you go to masteryunderpressure.net and it will give you a really good idea of where you sit on these peak performance skills. 
And then to get in touch with me, it's Tina, Tina at MasteringUnderPressure.com. Thank you, Tina. That was very helpful. You made such great points in how you put together your information. And I didn't mention also the book and the workbook combination, because the workbook is a piece that sometimes people add in as an afterthought, and yet our, no, our knowledge of how people learn is that many people learn by learning, processing, integrating, and writing. The act of writing helps solidify the knowledge, and that's what a workbook can do for you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate you being part of this. And thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. And for you who has been watching this podcast, be sure to subscribe to our channel. Be sure to subscribe to our show. You'll find the audio podcast on patire.com on my website, as well as on the audio platforms. And then the Pat Iyer website on YouTube will give you the visual. You'll be able to see Tina in person with her beautiful red dress and her orchid behind her. And that adds another dimension to the experience of learning about writing to get business. Thanks so much. Hi, this is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business. I just finished a podcast with Cindy Needham, who I met through a joint venture organization based in Canada. Cindy is a entrepreneur, a survivor, and turned her experience of her journey into a book and then into a business. Cindy, please tell our listener or our viewer what is the journey you went through and how did you translate that into an experience that would help other people? Thank you, Pat. I went through breast cancer as a double mastectomy breast cancer survivor. I know how hard and complex the journey is. And I know that when women are feeling lost and frustrated, what they are looking for is how to make sense of things and be understood. Uh, after two years of recovery, uh, I decided to listen to the calling in my heart. I wrote a book uh, to help. Uh, it's called The Pink Mountain, How to Stay Positive Through Breast Cancer from Diagnosis to Treatment and Beyond. And from that experience, I created a workbook, a website and coaching programs to help support women throughout this journey, no matter where they are on that pink mountain. Thank you, Cindy. And I know for you who's listening or watching this on our YouTube channel, Pat Iyer, that you will enjoy hearing Cindy's podcast. You will be inspired. It will give you another way of looking at how people overcome significant challenges. Be sure to catch Cindy Needham's show and keep watching and listening to Writing to Get Business. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for writers at writingtogetbusiness.com. That is W-R-I-T-I-N-G-T-O-G-E-T-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S dot com. 
Coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs work with Pat so they can get more business by writing and sharing their expertise. Check out Pat's resources on writingtogetbusiness.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.